powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Tony Richards here. Welcome to this week's edition of our podcast, Better Than Before. Going to be a fun show today. I'm excited about my special guest, good friend, great business owner, Tim Crockett, will be on the program today, former Small Business of the Year recipient with the Columbia Chamber. Also, we're going to be talking about culture in our leadership lessons segment and uh, a whole lot more. And so I want to welcome my uh, compadres, producer Bill. Hi, Tony. And uh, project manager Whitney. Hi. And uh, so glad for you to join us. Thank you for uh, being a part of our podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe when you go to any of the outlets where you get your podcast and subscribe to our show. Uh, we will promise you to always do our best to have a good program for you every week and you help us by subscribing and leaving your thoughts and a review. Also, I uh, want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and we also have a Facebook page, Clear Vision Development Group. Lots of places to connect with us on social media. A couple of other month-long celebrations in April. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's also National Frog Month. Did not know that. No. And so one of my famous Southern sayings about people who procrastinate is, if you're going to have to eat a frog, you don't want to have to look at him all day. So <laughs> eat him right away in the morning. <laughs> so it's National Frog Month, and it's also National Poetry Month in April, hosted by the Academy of American Poets. And this week, April 15th through the 22nd, is National Volunteer Week. And the Clear Vision staff will be volunteering on Monday, April 23rd. So we're going to be just outside National Volunteer Week. But hey, we're doing the best we can. But on Monday, April 23rd, we're going to be at the um, Humane Society. We're going to be there to dog walk and socialize and help with other needs around the clinic. I know you guys are looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're both animal people. So yep. Bill uh, has had cats in the past. Whitney has cats, too. I do. I have two. I'm the only dog person here. That's true. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what's your cat's names? Uh, Bentham Kitty, PhD, or Dr. Kitty. Run that by me again. <laughs> Bentham Kitty, PhD, or to you, as Dr. In, Kitty. As in Jeremy? Yes, actually. <laughs> Not everybody would know that. Inventor of hedonism. That sounds pretty well with cats. And then my cat is named Dwagon, and I will not tell you that story. <laughs> Dwagon? As in, I have a slight impediment on dragon? Yes. <laughs> Dwagon. But, uh, hey, support the Boone County Humane Society. And uh, we're going to, by volunteering on Monday, April 23rd. And if you've been thinking about getting a dog or a cat or adopting an animal, that would be a good time to do it. You could come by while we're there from 2.30 to 4.30 on Monday, April 23rd. My wife, Anne Marie, is on the board at the Humane Society, and we are animal lovers. So today we want to talk a little bit about in our first segment here, we're typically talking about general business stuff that's going on in the world today. 
for the last several years, uh, data breaches have been a big topic. Equifax had a big data breach that they kept from the public for two years, finally came out on an information leak and dang near ruined their company because they did not announce it or alert people that their information had been compromised. About every other week, you hear about a place their credit card information's been compromised. And if you've been there in the last several months, you might want to make sure to change some of your security or this, that, and the other. I know I visited the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel in San Diego a year ago in February. And uh, about a month after that, I got an email going, oh, you're credit card information may have been compromised. So the big story around right now is this whole Facebook uh, doing uh, inappropriate things with people's data. And uh, even though when you sign up for Facebook, they tell you all that. Nobody ever reads those disclaimers. They just want to be on Facebook so bad, they just click right on through and say, yes, I agree. Just get me to my profile. Uh, so what can you guys tell me about this Facebook story that you've, you've learned? Well, a lot of it is coming from not specifically Facebook, but the way that third-party apps are interacting with Facebook. So, for instance, we've all probably downloaded those apps before that are sign in using Facebook instead of creating a username and password and having to remember another set of those makes it easier, but it also asks you if it's allowed to access your personal profile and gather data from it. So by clicking yes, you are giving them permission to take your data. The thing that Cambridge Analytica did, which was the third-party app developer that created a personality quiz that about 300,000 people took, and they knew that the personality quiz was going to take their data. What they didn't know was it was going to take their friends' data. You know, we knew that Facebook was selling us. Um, what we didn't know is they're taking our friends with us. And that's something that um, prior to 2014, uh, Facebook didn't allow, but in 2014, they changed those rules, but they didn't think retroactively. So Cambridge Analytica has had this information for a while. It's still going on with other companies. It's not limited to just Cambridge Analytica. There are other third-party apps out there doing it right now. I just must be one of those stodgy older people. I don't want to take a quiz to tell me my favorite color <laughs> right. or what food I would love or my favorite vacation spot would be. I just uh, totally avoid those kinds of things. I'm the same way. You're smiling as if that's one of your favorite things to do. It's not one of my favorite things to do, but it's something I see happening all the time on Facebook. And I mean, some of them, they're like, you know, what Disney princess would you be? I mean, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe. We'll look at that. You'd do that one. I would. I, I have. So, but I was not one of the ones that helped gain information. I have not been, uh, my data has not been harvested. And you'll get an email from somebody or you'll get a public posting saying, if you've got a friend request from me, don't accept it because I've been hacked. Mm -hmm. I get an email that says, oh, Bill took a photo of you. Well, I just delete it. I don't follow that link because I just know it's bogus. Instead of following it and then having to go change my password and tell everybody that you're getting. But I think it's when people get tempted by pictures more than anything else and they click on it. And then all of a sudden that clickbait steals their identity or, or something. 
The one thing I would add is that Facebook is planning on changing their privacy controls to meet a new law set up by the EU that will give a little bit more rights or strengthen individual rights to control the collection and use of their data. So I do think that in response to what's going on, Facebook's trying to show social responsibility and making those changes because just like most businesses that are going under a crisis, it's best to respond to it and show that you are putting in a plan of action to move forward. Yeah, so my contribution would be there's a story in the Wall Street Journal uh, by Dan Gallagher, and there are a couple things that I highlighted. He says this has proven to be the most serious scandal Facebook has faced, raising the risk of users fleeing and governments intervening. Up to last week, the company had shed nearly $80 billion in market value since the Cambridge Analytica story broke in mid-March. I mean, that's a lot of cash. That is. You know, for investors to leave. Some investors are going to leave over any controversy. They're going to just try to distance themselves from it. Dan Gallagher says, in that light, Mr. Zuckerberg's main job this week was to calm lawmakers and his own investors. So he testified on Capitol Hill the last couple of days. All the reviews I've read, he must have done a magnificent job of apologizing. We weren't aware. Now we're aware. Here's what we're going to do about it. One, two, three. That's always a fascinating thing I like to look at and study is how do leaders respond when their organizations hit a crisis? And so we had that here in Columbia a couple years ago with the University of Missouri in which the leaders did not respond in a very proactive or a very positive way and now we have new leaders and so zuckerberg who's basically the creator of this organization and has made a ton of money and growing it probably has the best probably one of the best one two senior management combinations in business today mark zuckerberg and cheryl sandberg and so it's interesting to watch to see how they handle this crisis gallagher says that Zuckerberg appeared to succeed at calming lawmakers, and Facebook's stock price rose more than 5% over the two days he was in Washington. So that tells you it's up 5%. He must have done something good. He must have said something that investors liked. It says, as for Mr. Zuckerberg, he needs to lead the company through those coming changes with a more deft hand than he has shown to date. And I think he's referring to the fact that in the first couple of days, the controversy happened, he was just silent. I mean, there was no statement, no media appearance, no anything, which I guess could show some maturity. He's getting his ducks in a row before he comes out and talks. And he says um, that that will make his two days in Washington look easy by comparison. So... The two days in Washington in front of Congress, Gallagher says, is going to be a lot easier than leading the company back uh, through this whole crisis. And so my main question would be, if you're thinking about investing in the company or in the stock, I've got some Facebook in my wife's IRA, and it's just done fantastic. I think we bought it when it was like 45, you know, right after the IPO. But the thing I ask myself is, do you think Facebook is going to be worth more or less 10, 15, 20 years from now? If you think it is, you should hold it, right? Especially if you got good cost basis on it. You bought in early like we did. You got a lot of a lot of upside on it. If you think Facebook is going to be a dominating force in the future, which I do, like I think this is going to pass and they're going to be fine. 
10, 15, 20 years from now, why would you sell it? So like when they lose $80 billion in market value, to me, those are all day trader people, right? They're, right. they're, they're like, okay, we can't ride this anymore. We've got to catch another wave. Mm-hmm. But long-term thinking people, I mean, I just got to think the company's going to be worth a whole lot more down the road than it is now. They'll, they'll get through this. It might be tough for a while. But I don't see, as I turn on my Facebook, which is usually for about five minutes every morning to post something positive, which is how I use my Facebook. But as I open up my Facebook news feed in the morning, I don't see less people. I still see a whole lot of people posting a whole lot of stuff. Some of it interesting, some of it crap. I still see people using it. I don't see a noticeable. It's like when gasoline prices get high. I don't notice fewer cars on I-70. Right. You know, I still see as much traffic as I saw before. So to me, they get through this. I don't know what you guys think, but no, I think you're right. But you know, somebody in Facebook knew. You would think. Now, Mark may not have known, and Cheryl may not have known, but somebody knew, or they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have had access to do that. And so the intriguing thing to me is a lot of times, At this particular part of the whole thing, somebody's been fired. And I haven't heard of anybody who's lost their job or been fired. Well, the last two CEOs for uh, Cambridge Analytica have both stepped down. I think that company might be done. But if somebody had a key to my house, I would know. They gained entry somehow. So somebody in Facebook knew. Before 2014, Facebook allowed them to be able to do this. But when they changed the rules, they weren't retroactive with it. So they didn't think to go back and tell these other developers, hey, that information that you took prior, you need to delete it. And in 2015, when The Guardian reported on this, Facebook's immediate response was to go to them and and pressure them to delete the data, and they had been told that they had. One other interesting thing I'll throw in is that in Leadership Columbia, we had Media Day um, just not long ago, and so I hung around and and listened to a panel of media folks here in town uh, talk about some things, and one of the questions that was asked of the panel was, if you could delete one social media platform that you think doesn't do your business any good, what would it be? That's a good question. I'm probably not a good person to ask about social media platforms since I'm only sort of involved with two, uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. If I delete one of them, uh, it would be Facebook. For this business specifically, I don't think Snapchat helps us at all. Snapchat was the answer that they all gave on the panel. Like, Is that right? has hardly any business value at all. As a matter of fact, some of them said it has any value at all. But I love Snapchat, so don't get rid of it. But I understand it from a business perspective. And, and I don't get Snapchat. <laughs> I mean, all I know about it is it sends you stuff and it gets deleted. Um, somebody said they wanted to Snapchat me, and I downloaded the app, and I never got anything. And nobody's ever sent me anything on Snapchat. So, therefore, I deleted the app from my phone. Because I guess people don't think I'm worth Snapchatting with because I haven't gotten any other requests to Snapchat. That's funny. I had Snapchat for one day and it drained my battery so quickly that I got rid of it. Some people may just think I'm too old for Snapchat. I don't know, but I don't feel badly. It's just I feel disconnected that nobody wants to Snapchat me. I feel a little ostracized. (laughs) That's okay. I don't need any more social media platforms. I've got plenty. (laughs) I was just going to say that. 
So uh, today we're going to be talking about family business and in our culture, part of our leadership lesson later on. And when we come back, Tim Crockett's going to be here to talk about his business, Crockett Engineering. I'm looking forward to it. I think you'll enjoy it. That's coming up next on Better Than Before. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to our show, Better Than Before. Tony Richards here. One of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is I get to have my friends on and talk about all different kinds of stuff from leadership to business. And today I've got not only a client of mine, but a really good friend of mine that I've enjoyed working with immensely. Tim Crockett from Crockett Engineering is here. Tim's a graduate of the University of Missouri. He also has won the Small Business of the Year Award with the Chamber and a bunch of other just outstanding stuff. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Tell me a little bit about your background growing up. Uh, Well, I was born and raised in Columbia. Lived here my entire life, all 43 years, so I really don't know any different other than Columbia. (laughs) Crockett Engineering was started by my father back in 1985, and so I kind of grew up in the family business. So I grew up, held every position in the business, uh, knew all aspects of it. So I really, uh, from a young age, learned a lot from my dad, learned a lot about the business, and I kind of just started from there. So how did you get involved with working with your dad? Whose idea was that? Well, really kind of, you know, by default, really. Uh, he would go to a job site, and uh, I just loved to go with him. Uh, I loved to see the equipment moving. I loved to see the construction taking place. And, you know, I love to see that aspect of it. So I just follow him when I was a young child to the job sites. I get to play in the dirt. Uh, I get to uh, ride on the equipment from time to time. The contractors would let us. And so it was just a good time. So I really got to learn what he did from a young age and see how he designed his projects and then consequently see the construction take place that built his designs. That's very cool. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. And I'm going to, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but what did your dad do before 1985? He was an engineer for another company here in town. So he was basically a chief engineer for a larger engineering company here locally. That company got bought out. It was a branch office. And so he was really the chief engineer, the one in charge of the entire branch office. And he really wasn't a manager. Uh, a business manager necessarily. He wanted to do engineering. And so when he was in charge of 40 or 50 employees, he just got burned out on that. This is not what he wanted to do. He wanted to have the client interaction, wanted to have complete control over his designs. And so uh, that's when he branched out in 85. Uh, He actually had clients come to him numerous times through the years and said, hey, we want you to go in business for yourself. He wasn't so sure about it until one of his clients who was a president of a bank came in and said, here's your loan papers. I'm going to co-sign for you. You're going to business for yourself. So from that point, it really hit home to him that said, hey, I can do this. I've got people who will back me. So he decided to do it. He turned down the offer for the guy to co-sign with him. But it was something, uh, it was a moment in time that he realized that, hey, 
this is something I can really do. And so that's what he did in 1985. Your mom and dad are both very well thought of in the community of Columbia. Thank and you. Uh, your mom was very, very involved. She's passed away now. But, um, I mean, they both were just really well thought of. Oh, in thank the you. I, I appreciate mean, people that. still talk about. Yeah, I get a lot of compliments to this day. It's funny you say that. Today would have been her 75th birthday. Oh, so, my. yeah, today is her birthday. She's been gone for 16 years now. But uh, I still get compliments from people uh, that remember her and her community involvement, her council involvement and her involvement in the business as well. Did you always want to be an engineer? Yeah, I I did. I kind of grew up in that. Uh, I liked the construction aspect of it. Growing up, I knew the clients that dad had and, you know, they would take me out on the job sites. Dad would take me on the job sites. And they just kind of held my hand kind of growing up. And they just knew from a young age that, you know, I really enjoyed doing design work and being involved in the construction industry. You got a wonderful wife, Julie. Yeah. She knows exactly how to get to me. She gives me (laughs) Christmas present every year. She buys me Starbucks Christmas blend coffee. So tell us about your wife and your family. Yeah, I have a lovely wife, Julie. She's she's great. She's, uh, She's my rock. We've been married for 20 years this year. Uh, we have three kids. I've got Emery. She's 15. And then i got two boys that are nine and seven. And so they uh, they keep me busy. Julie's pretty involved with Forum Yes, Christian she's Church involved too. in the women's ministry, kind of the head of the women's ministry at Forum Christian Church. Yeah, she's awesome. I'm a big fan. So give me some of the biggest things you've learned since you've been in business. Well, I think some of the biggest things I've learned is you got to take risks, Tony. I think that's a big key. And, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times you play it safe and, and get on your heels and just play defense. And I think really to be successful, you got to play offense. You got to get out there. You got to take some risks and, and be aggressive. I would say that in the time that we've worked together, so that's been, what, about six years now. Yeah. Yeah, you were really risk averse when we first met. Yeah, that's right. I hated change. I don't want change. I want to keep things the way they are because that's my comfort zone. And as we've talked about your pain line and you know, and pushing you to your pain line, I don't know how many times I've crossed my pain line. But it keeps on getting further out, and I, you push me, and I push cross it, it again. And yeah, I keep on doing it. You know, when we first started, I think we had you know four, five, six employees, something like that. We're now we're over forty. And so we've been able to diversify and add disciplines and add people. But, you know, something else I think is important that, as, that I've learned is it's, it's okay to fail. You've got to push yourself uh, to the limit and take risks, but it's okay if you fall short. It's okay if you fail. It's only okay if you really learn from that. You know, learn what you did wrong, help it to uh, form you going forward. So it's okay to do that. That's very counterintuitive for a lot of human beings that failure is part of the growth process. Absolutely. Yeah, I fully believe that because um, not everything that you do is going to work. You know, you like to think that it does. And if everything that you do does work, you're not uh, not being aggressive enough. Right. And the worst thing can happen is you're laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, going, what if we would have done that? Right. What if we would have tried that? Right. And as a kid growing up, again, to look back at my dad and, you know, dad, he's, he's my biggest hero. Right. And to see how conservative he was and to see his competition take those risks and succeed. That's almost a worse feeling than trying it yourself and failing is watching your competition try it and succeed. And so you really don't want that to take place. And what's really ironic about that is you've now built the firm he didn't want to be. That's right. Right. Yeah. He didn't want to manage 35 or 40 people. That's right. He did not want that. We talk about it on a regular basis, and he sits back and talks about how proud he is and how amazing it is, and I mean, he loves where we've taken the firm. He knows that that's not where he would have ever taken it, uh, but he's awful happy and glad to see us moving forward and taking it where we want to take it. I was going to say that. If there's one person besides me who's very proud of you, it's him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he tells us that all the time, and you know, he sends the, the guys, the partners at the firm Christmas cards and tells them how proud he is that what they've done for their 
contributions and you know the things that they uh, that they contribute and you know he's very appreciative of what they've done uh, to help the business that he started grow. So you got to take risks. Failure is part of the process. Anything else? Uh, and also diversify. You know, I think that's one thing that I've really learned through the years is, you know, prior to the recession, we were so focused on one single aspect of our business. And, you know, the recession came and it just completely decimated that part of the uh that part of the industry. And that really killed us. You know, we were able to survive. We were able to, you know, weather it without too much problem because we had solid business sense about it. But the fact is, is it was, it was questionable there. It was, it was a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of things going on. And since that time, we've been able to diversify. I don't want to say we're recession proof by any means, certainly not, but we're more adverse to the ups and downs than once we once were because we can rely on other areas of our business to help us through. Now, when I say other areas, it's still all aligned with our core values and what we do. It's just different markets, different products, that kind of thing. I think another thing that you guys have learned is that it's just a natural part of the process that in the recession you're talking about in 07, 08, 09, everybody and their brother was building. Mm -hmm. And every now and then the marketplace does a pruning Yes, absolutely. Like it'll come along where, and, and everybody and, and their best friend will start a business when things are good. Yep. And then every now and then the market will come along and go, well, okay, there's some of you that don't need to be doing this. That's right. You know, no different than the stock market. You always talk about stock market. Uh, you know, stock market is growing, uh, you know, doubling every couple of years. You know, we're at 24, 25,000 in, um, in the market right now. And they always talk about having a correction. You know, corrections are necessary. Corrections are natural, if you will. Well, that's no different in the construction or any other part of the business industry that, you know what, when you start getting guys in there that are doing construction that may not have the expertise and the knowledge and the ability to do that, we have to have those corrections to kind of put the market back in check. Yeah. So you mentioned failure being part of the process. Are there any that come to mind? That, uh, that that have really proven valuable? I kind of briefly talked about uh, the uh, the diversification. And I think that was kind of a failure of ours before the recession. That was probably the biggest failure we had is because we really had to weather the storm and really look for other opportunities during the recession. And when we're looking for op- other opportunities during a recession, uh, we're behind the line. We should have already been out there doing that. So I think by not being diversified early on was a big failure on our behalf. I mean, we should have recognized uh, where things were going. We should have recognize that we're going to have a correction or a recession or a, or a downturn, if you will. We should have identified that beforehand and made adjustments accordingly. And we didn't do that. Consequently, we uh, you know, got smacked around a little bit, but we came out uh, swinging after the end of it. Good. Your dad, when he had the business and then he had you, his son, working with him in the business. I mean, that's kind of a true family business. It and, is, yes. And you've got that legacy. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you've done that your dad never would have done is you've taken on partner. That's right. And so you and I have had a lot of discussions about partnership. Right. Yes, absolutely. Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about being a partner. <laughs> yes. But you got some great partners. I couldn't ask for better partners than what I have. And and you talk about that, and I hear that a lot about people in businesses that says, oh, I've had partnerships before, and I'll never have a partner again. And that's unfortunate because my partners have allowed our business to grow to where it is today. Right. Places that I couldn't take it by myself. No way could I have taken it where it's at today simply by doing what I do. And so having the right key partners aligned with you is is key. Right. And you've been able to do that. And go ahead and tell, tell us about your partners. Okay. Well, in the engineering business, I've got Nathan Eckhoff and Greg Lineman. Nathan does a lot of civil work on my side with me. And then Greg, of course, is our structural lead. He leads our entire structural department. And then we also, on the geotech side, we have 
Eric Lidholm, who is a geotechnical engineer who runs that whole side of the business. They've got a lot of experience. They're very highly respected in their individual fields. Uh, and they bring a lot to the table. Crockett Engineering businesses would not be where they are today uh, without those individuals doing their part. Yeah. I, and I always get a nice hug and a pat on the back from everybody's wife. Yeah. Because they call me the marriage counselor for partners. That's right. That's right. We know each other's wives. We're good friends. We know everybody. And they know that uh, we're in it together. And uh, above being partners, we're also friends. So that's important. One thing that's important to me, and I think is important to you also, because I think more to you maybe than me, just because you grew up here and Columbia is your home. Uh, I always like to think about how my company's impacting. I mean, you and I met because I was trying to impact the city of Columbia through mm-hmm. the Leadership Columbia program. Right. How do you feel like Crockett Engineering has added to the value of Columbia? Columbia's important to me. Again, I was born and raised here. This is the only town I know. It's the only town I've ever lived in. And I love Columbia. I'm not looking to go anywhere else. Won't go anywhere else. So I want the best for Columbia. You know, I want Columbia to thrive and I want to be a part of that. I want to help Columbia get to where we want it to be. One of the things I learned in college from Rex Campbell, who used to be on city council, but he's also a professor at the university. One thing he taught me that I still say today, and he's on the board of adjustment, by the way, and I always say it in front of him. He always gets a chuckle, but you have to be what you want to see. When I see uh, Columbia growing, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the positive impacts that are being made, whether it's, you know, on the social impacts or the recreational side of things. I want to be a part of that. You know, we're involved. Uh, our partners are involved. Our employees are involved. We're involved in the chamber. We're involved with other not-for-profit organizations. We're on board of directors for various organizations. And so we want to give back to the community that has helped us thrive. And so that's really where we're at. You probably have more minutes logged at the city council than almost any Columbia (laughs) citizen, probably. Uh, We're down there quite a bit. Yes. So you touched on your partners and you Mm -hmm. talked about how they're involved in the business. But tell me about the different disciplines that Crockett is involved in. We have civil engineering who does the basic site work packages for development projects. We have structural engineering anywhere from bridges and large buildings to foundations, tilt construction, take your pick. It's a wide range of structural capabilities. We also do all land surveying, construction staking, boundary work. We also do geotechnical engineering and construction material testing. So we kind of run that whole range of the civil spectrum. And the good thing is, is we can cross sell all of those disciplines to our clients. So it's basically a one-stop shop on the civil side. And our clients really respect that. You mentioned earlier that when we first started working together, me as your coach, you had five or six employees, but the vision was always to grow. And now you're at 35, sometimes 37, 40 employees. So one of the first things that I really introduced to you guys and talked to you about was building your company culture. Tell everybody a little bit about when you're looking for employees, how does that kind of play into it? Well, our culture is very, very precious to us. You know, it's it's highly protected. All of our guys like each other. That's very important. All of our guys get along. They have the same vision. And we talk about that a little bit about how business partners, are they good? Are they bad? Or, you know, what do you want? That's one thing that business partners have to do. They have to share that vision. We each have to know where we want to take the business and we have to be aligned. We don't want to be pulling in opposite directions from one another because it's not productive. We want to be able to be pulling in the same direction. And then when we do that, we're invincible. And so that's how we look at it. Our employees are the same way. You know, we want our employees to share the vision that we have. We want our employees to share the fact that 
It's not about getting a project done. It's not about getting billable hours and all that. It's about making a client successful. It's taking ownership in our client's project and going there and saying, hey, we want this client to succeed. We want this client to get his project approved on time and on budget. And we want him to hit his bottom line that he's expected to hit. And so when our employees share in that, you know, it, it really shows. It shows in their work ethic. It shows in the quality that they do and, and just how they how they do their day-to-day business. And so our culture, um, you know, we like to play a little bit at the office. We like to work a lot at the office. Culture is very highly protected around our office. Yeah, I was talking to a guy the other day who was interviewing me, and I was interviewing him because we were talking about working together. He was talking about, he goes, you know, Tony, I've just about decided if I don't like them, I'm not hiring them. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that is a great place to start. That's right. You know, and we've learned the hard way, you know, when you hire an employee and it's the wrong fit, it takes a while to figure out that that's the wrong employee. It's not going to work. Then you have to go through the process of terminating that employee. And then you have to go through the whole process of finding a replacement and then training that replacement. So hiring the wrong employee is much worse than not hiring an employee. It's totally important in an entrepreneurial small business because in a large corporate entity, which I work with too, where you got 1,500, 2,000 employees, you may never see those people, That's you right. know, but in a smaller organization, anywhere from five to 50 people, you work with those people side by side every day. Every day. And every person has a specific job and it's felt uh, as you go through that process. And so everybody pulling their weight together, uh, you can have great results. But if you have one person, it's just not quite there. Like you say, not very easy to hide them in the process. If somebody comes in in a bad mood, everybody knows yeah, everybody it. Everybody knows it. That's yeah. right. And emotions and moods are are contagious. Yes. You're the Crockett CEO. I'm going to ask you this question. I ask a lot of guys that come on and ladies that come on the show. What's your big three priorities for this year? Top three priorities for this year. First one's probably to expand our footprint. Right now we're licensed in about 30 states and we do quite a bit of work out of state. And now we don't advertise any of our work or any of our services out there. We follow our clients around. And so uh, really we want to expand those opportunities with those clients in other states and other locations. Uh, and kind of go along with that is that we want to capitalize on new opportunities. By going in those locations, they're uh, introducing us to other developers or new architects. And that's opening up opportunities for us. And so we want to expand on those opportunities as well. And then the third item is, is while we do that, that while we grow in those aspects and those other locations, really what we got to focus on is that we treat our existing clients with the respect and you know, and give them the time that they actually deserve. One thing we like to do is we like to focus on each client and make each client think that they're our only client. Sure. And so we want to give them the time that they deserve, no matter if it's a small project, if it's a small $4,000 job or a large $400,000 job, we want each client to think that they're our only client. And so as we expand and grow into other locations, other states, taking on other projects, we have to keep in mind how we got there and who brought us there. And we got to make sure we take care of those guys that we have. You know, I'm going to give you a great compliment while you're sitting here because most athletic coaches and most business coaches, if they're being honest, they'd tell you that sometimes you get a client you're coaching and you have to wrestle with them on almost everything. You know, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. But you guys, one of the things I will have to say about you is most of the things that I've asked you guys to do or tried to guide you in, you guys have not really questioned it. Mm -hmm. You've just put your 
head down and and done it and executed it and so you guys are just a pleasure to coach well we appreciate that tony and that kind of goes back to why are we doing that because what you've told us to do and we've done it it's always given us the results that uh, you have said we were going to get from it and so when we've looked for certain results and you give us your coaching give us your uh, expertise on how to get there we've listened to it and we've gotten those results and so it goes back to you too why do we listen to that because we know that you know what you're talking about so why not follow what you tell us you guys are a dream if somebody wants to find out more about Crockett Engineering, they can go to your website. Yes, yeah, CrockettEngineering.com. Anything else you want to talk about with Crockett or anything you want to promote? or? No, we just got a lot of cool projects coming up. Uh, we've got a lot of industrial projects. Of course, the ones here in Columbia, we got the milk plant that's under construction. Uh, we had a couple large concrete pours out there. It's a really cool project going on. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the American Outdoor Brands uh, out east of town is a really cool project. It's about 14 acres under one roof. That's a large building. That's a pretty cool project. We've got some stuff going on in Kansas City and looking to get another large one going on down in Nashville. That's great. If that's it, I'm going to run through my standard list of closing questions. You bet. And so this is kind of a Tony speed round, and you already answered one of them, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So first off, best memory that comes to mind? Well, best memory that comes to mind, given that it's my mom's birthday, and it's not a really quick answer, but uh, you know, one time I remember here several years ago, I was so busy. I had to get work done. I had schedules to keep, had uh, promises I had to meet. But I was on a job site, and it was close to my mom's house. And my mom had been battling cancer for several years. And so I thought I'd take a few minutes, you know, just stop by and say hi. So I stopped by, uh, talked to her for a few minutes, and my mom was a great cook. She always was in the kitchen. So we're sitting in the kitchen, and I'm at the little island there, and she thought she'd whip me up some breakfast. And so a few minutes turned into 45 minutes and a breakfast. And I sat around for a couple more hours, and then, uh, then she decided to cook me lunch. So a few minutes turned into breakfast, it turned into lunch. Next thing I know, I was there for half a day. And, you know, we were just talking about life, just talking about everything. And, of course, at that time, my wife and I were expecting our first child. And so she gave me a lot of insight. It was really important. You know, I never really sat around and talked to my mom like that before with her. What made that so memorable is that she passed away four weeks later. You know, it doesn't matter how many schedules you have. It doesn't matter how many projects you have to get done or what the schedules are, or the deadlines are. You need to take the time to sit back and just talk to family and to, uh, you know, embrace those moments. My wife and I talk about that quite a bit because that's one of those things. She's been passed away about 16 years now. She knew that we were expecting, but she never met her granddaughter. That was one of those important times that uh, I can sit back and I can remember. Don't remember the conversations. Don't remember what we talked about. But we just sat there and just talked about a lot of things. Just some cool moments. And just the fact that, you know, you got to remember that no matter how busy you are, take the time to talk to the loved ones around you. That's beautiful. Number one hero in your life. Has to be my dad. Yep. You said that earlier. Yep. Top value you subscribe to? Probably devotion. Whether it's faith, family, your business, your employees, your partners, I subscribe to devotion. Most important person in your life? Has to be my wife, hands down. She's my rock. Your favorite thing? Turkey hunting. I knew it was going to be hunting of some kind. Yep, turkey hunting. Spring turkeys. All right. Favorite food? Anything from mugs up. All right. (laughs) Most beautiful place you've been to? Glacier National Park. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Probably happiness. How do you want to be remembered? Being honest. Advice for a younger Tim? Again, don't be afraid to step outside the box. Take risks. Embrace change. And that's one thing that I've learned a lot lately is to embrace change. Take risks. Don't allow fear to get in the way. Don't allow fear to be the roadblock. Conquer it. Love it. What's your favorite sound? A gobbler on the roost on a nice spring morning. (laughs) All right. And I already asked you a little bit of this one, but what's the most outstanding lesson you've learned? 
Be prepared. You've got to be prepared. And another quick story about my mom since it's her birthday. She used to be on city council, as you know, and she couldn't talk about projects when I present them before council. But she was in the office as office manager. And so she'd ask us about, hey, what do you know about this project? Or, you know, what do you hope the council doesn't ask you? And, and I was young and naive, and I'd actually tell her, well, I hope they don't ask me these questions. And, of course, she would sit on council, and I'd watch her. And, again, Rex Campbell, my old professor, was sitting next to her, and they were friends. And I could see her writing on notes. And she'd pass them over to him. And during the comment section, Rex would ask me the questions that I was hoping no one would ask. And the reason he got those, he got those from mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she would, she would feed them to him. And I would get so upset. And the next day at work, I'd walk in like, what were you doing? And she goes, if there's one thing I'm going to teach him, I'm going to teach you to be prepared. And so when you go to those council meetings, you be prepared for every question they're going to ask you. And you need to handle that. And I'm going to continue to do that until you're prepared on every one of them. So be prepared. That's great. You know, I always enjoy our conversations. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Tim Crockett for being my guest on Better Than Before today. When we come back, we're going to talk about this week's leadership lesson. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back. Uh, Tim Crockett on today's show. Absolutely fantastic interacting with Tim. Such a smart business guy and phenomenal exponential growth at Crockett Engineering. And so I hope you enjoyed our our visit together. And that's what I like about doing this show is I like having my friends and clients on and having a conversation with them that you can just kind of sit in on and be like that, you know, fly on the wall who listens to that conversation and like, I wonder what they talk about, you know? And so that, that's kind of cool. Also, I want to remind you that if you have questions that you'd like for us to answer on the show, all you have to do is email us info at clearvisiondevelopment.com and you can also tweet those if you want at tony richards four you can tweet me and give me a question and be glad to mention you and your question and give you the answer on uh, better than before so now it's time for our leadership lesson and we're focusing on culture this month and so a very uh, unique business culture to work in and be a part of is family business for those who don't know a whole lot about my background, I grew up in family business. My grandfather owned a feed store in Lola, Kentucky, where I grew up. And my dad was uh, with him in the feed store business and I was third generation. And so I first started working at the feed store before I was even 10. I don't know if there's one solid answer about what makes family business different. They definitely are different. And I've come up with a couple of things that I think make family business a little bit different. Number one is they're pretty frugal. There's a broadcasting company based here in Missouri that I was a part of for a long time. And I worked in the corporate office 
And my first corporate office with them, I think I had two saw horses and an old door was my desk. We'd have all of our bank meetings at the corporate office because we wanted to show them we weren't wasting any money. And my gosh, it was just an old old office now later on we did move to a very nice bank of america building when bank of america left the market we took over their office but for a long time we had this old office and we all had these old makeshift desks and uh, it was kind of a rundown place but family business they're pretty frugal while countless corporations talk about stock options and turning managers into shareholders and all that kind of thing in the family business, the company's money is the family's money. That is how it is presented. Number two, you got to jump through a few hoops to get a capital expenditure approved. I mean, they they are really, really pay attention to what they spend money on for improvements. Now, that's also an advantage in a family business. Most family businesses think really long term because they want the business to be around for future family members. So they will reinvest in the business where a lot of businesses, they're just thinking about making a profit and taking the profit home with them. Family businesses, a lot of times want to ensure that they're around long-term for future family members to be able to work in the business. Number three, I would say they generally don't carry a lot of debt because again, they're being really frugal for future generations. They don't want to pass that large debt on to the coming generations who are going to inherit the business. I'll tell you what one family-run business CEO told me. He said, people think we're rich and courageous, but in fact, we're cowardly. We leave most of the cash in the company to avoid giving away too much power to the banks. And I can tell you that is absolutely right. I learned that from my grandfather. When he went to borrow money from a bank, he said it was like selling a percent of his company. And the bank owned a certain amount of the company because he owed them money. He didn't like that. He wanted to be 100% in charge, 100% owner, right? And then the fourth thing I'd say is they typically retain talent better than competitors. I know when I was in charge of a family-owned business for 13, 14 years, we had a very high retention rate. And we competed with a lot of corporations, some publicly traded corporations. And I always said I never lost anybody I didn't want to. That didn't mean I didn't lose some people, but I didn't mind losing them. Anybody I didn't want to lose, I typically didn't. Even to the fact that I was offered a job with a competitor once, and I asked them why they wanted to hire me, and they said, we can't hire any of your people. So if we get you, we figure we can get a whole bunch more people, right? They'll follow you. I would say that's true in a lot of family businesses. They they do retain talent uh, because there is positives and negatives to being treated like family. When a business that I'm coaching asks me, do you think we ought to have a family-oriented culture in our company? I always say, what does family mean to you? Because it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Because not everybody's experience with family has been positive. So when you tell somebody, we're going to have a family-oriented culture, that sends some people screaming and running out the door. Uh, While other people are like, oh, that sounds good. I like the nurturing family. And here's a subliminal message that goes with that. 
when you create a family-oriented culture in a company, there's a subliminal thought that you can't be kicked out. Because in most families, no matter what you do, you will not be disowned and kicked out of the family. For a lot of people, the message is, well, if this is a family-oriented business, I'm pretty much here for life. No matter what I do, I will not be, you know, kicked out. And so you got to be careful with that. And you got to make sure that you define what family-oriented culture really means. If, if you're meaning that we're all going to respect and care for each other and we like spending time together. Tim mentioned that earlier when he was on. You know, he said, you know, we all like each other. We like spending time together. And that's your definition of family. Great. But if it means that no matter what your performance is, you're still going to be accepted, I'm not sure that's the best. And in a lot of family-owned business, performance is not necessarily the key. Do you know what the key is? Longevity. Because in those kinds of companies, if you've been there a long time, that counts for something. Because the thought is, we got to keep this business going for future generations. So longevity is a little bit more important that, yeah, we have good years. Yeah, we have bad years. But performance isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is, is that we're still here. A lot of times when you downplay performance and you focus on longevity, that can lead to not great performance. As I've said many times, there are people who have 20 years of experience and every year they've gotten better. And there's some people who have 20 years of the same experience of that first year. They just repeated that first year. They learned a lot and they've repeated that same year over and over for 20 years. So it depends on what you mean by 20 years of of, uh, experience. And when you're thinking about building family culture, sometimes, and I've pointed that out here just briefly, that can be negative because it can lead to people maybe being a little complacent because they feel like they're in. I'll also tell you that when I was growing up and my dad was at the feed store and then he was also raising and training horses for people. I had every kind of job growing up as a kid on a horse farm. You know, everything from feeding them to uh, grooming them to uh, washing them to trimming their feet to putting their shoes on later on, nailing their shoes to their hooves and brushing the cocoa burrs out of their manes and their tails. And my dad was very perceptive. He knew I didn't enjoy those things. I'd rather be watching TV or playing some kind of ball. So he just comes to me one day, and this is the advantage of being kind of in a family business is these kind of moments. But my dad comes to me and he says, Tony, I know you don't like doing this, but The reason we do this is we're not doing this just for fun. This is how our family makes a living. This is how our family puts food on the table. This is how we buy school clothes for you. This is how we afford to put gas in our car. And it caused me to look at my tasks in a different way. There is a meaningful reason why I'm doing this. It's not just because my dad told me to. It's because it counts for something, and it's actually the reason and the means by which we live, which kind of turned my attitude around a little bit because I saw, oh, okay, you're not just telling me to do this because you want to teach me something. You're telling me this because this is a real-world reality. One of the other benefits of being in family business, at 11 years old, and I just found this the other day, and I'm going to post it on my social media so people can see a picture of it. 
But I found this loan document, which is just a piece of paper on both sides. I found this loan document from 1974. And I had really forgotten that I even did this. But I borrowed $225 from my grandfather. And he charged me 6% interest. In 1974, I was 11. And on the flip side of this document, it shows every payment I made. And I made $10 and $20 and $15 and $10 and $20 and $15. And the date I made the payment and I paid off the loan in six months. And I don't know, maybe just intuitively at 11 years old, I didn't want to be paying that 6% interest. But I really learned so many lessons like that. Real world, you know, not just theoretical, not just hypothetical, but just real world how things in business get connected. I mean, maybe there's more than I would think, but I wouldn't think many 11-year-old kids are borrowing money with interest. But that was the kind of way that my family kind of was, you know, that's kind of way we operated. I'll have to say too, that my dad and my granddad, when I worked for them, I got paid. They didn't just take advantage of me as free labor. They taught me that if you work, you get paid and that those were good lessons. And I'm thinking that I paid on that loan. I'm thinking I had a lawn mowing business and I'd go mow somebody's lawn and get $10 and I'd take that $10 directly to my grandfather and say, mark off another 10. And I can't remember what I bought with the 225, but I wanted to pay that loan off as fast as possible. And I'm still that way today. You know, if I go borrow some money, I'm trying to figure out the least amount of time before I can pay that sucker off. Right. So any thoughts about family business from you guys? Since I started in the corporate world, uh, going to a family business, it's less structured. And also, you have a bigger say in decisions, which took me a little bit of getting used to because there used to be a chain of command that I always had to go through, which took time. Any experience? No, I haven't had any experiences with a with a family business. So really what you're saying is you don't consider Clear Vision to be a family business? No, I guess not. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. I think once you work in corporate world, you'll figure out the differences pretty quickly. Biggest one being that you feel more a part of things. Yes, and less structured. Well, that's it for today's episode of Better Than Before. I want to thank my special guest, Tim Crockett, for being on today. Don't forget, you can follow me at Tony Richards 4 on Twitter. You can contact us on the show by emailing us info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We have the Exponential Leadership Retreat coming up at the latter part of June. we got a lot of great things coming up. Be sure to visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Be sure and subscribe to Better Than Before, either at iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or you can catch the show at our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. See you on the next episode of Better Than Before. And don't forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.